So Newsweek says, Democratic Missouri Representative Cori Bush used the gender-inclusive term birthing people on Thursday while testifying before the Democratic Oversight Committee about America's black maternal health crisis. After she tweeted out a video of her testimony, the term birthing people immediately became the center of an embittered Twitter war over whether the gender neutral term was justified. And in case you're not enlightened, the reason why they would use that term birthing people is because there are biological females who are women, but biological females who give birth, who then may want to be identified as males, hence the inclusive term birthing people. So I guess instead of Mother's Day, if we were inclusive, this would be birthing people's day, but not here. And then just one other reminder that uh, the latest year for which the CDC has published statistics, 2018, 619,591 abortions were recorded. And if you think about it, each one of those is a direct assault on motherhood. So um, I'm not going to be talking about those statements head on, but I believe that it's important for us just to go back to the beginning and remind ourselves about what God has ordained in terms of humanity and the family and motherhood and uh, what it means to be an image bearer of God. So that's what we're going to be doing. But before I do that, just a quick disclaimer. By, by doing this, by studying the biblical topic of, of motherhood, uh, I'm not trying to add to the grief or burden of any woman who longs to be a mother but can't. God opens and closes the womb. Not all women are or will be mothers. And also, I'm not trying to make anyone think that a woman's value or identity is bound up in or limited to being a mother. I'm going to talk about that real soon. That's not the case. That's not what the Bible teaches. But still, motherhood is God's idea. None of us would be here without it. It is a good thing to celebrate and honor biblical motherhood and mothers themselves. So that's what we're doing. We're, we're looking at what the Bible has to say about motherhood, and we're going to do it from the vantage point of the, the biblical story of motherhood. And to do that, we're going to follow the, the great themes that the Bible sets forth in its unfolding story. And those are the themes of creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. Redemption, the fall, redemption, and, and consummation. And you'll notice that we're going to spend a lot of time in Genesis because all of those themes are uh, started at least in the, book, the first book in the Bible, the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. We won't limit our study to the book of Genesis, but we're going to be there a lot. So, 
First of all, the biblical story of motherhood creation. Uh, Alex read from Genesis chapter 2. Look in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Verse 27. Genesis chapter 1 is the overview of the narrative of creation. And then in chapter 2, Moses, the human writer, as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit, goes back and provides more detail on the creation of the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. So in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, we read these very important words. So God created man, and there man is inclusive. It's meant mankind, and you'll see that. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So a couple of things about Genesis 1.27. It talks about the image of of God. And in, in a nutshell... Basically, what that means is that there is something about God, his his character, his his attributes, the way that he works. There's something about God that is uniquely reflected in mankind that is men and women. And it is the image of God in mankind, humankind, if you will, that makes us unique from all other creatures. That's why we are not just animals. We're, we're like animals, perhaps, in, in some shared biology, but we are utterly unique compared to animals because human beings and human beings alone are image bearers of God. And this, this uh, characteristic of us enables us uniquely to enjoy fellowship with God, to know him, to love him, to worship him, and as Genesis explains, to represent him on earth. We are his image bearers. But notice that this image bearing capacity has been given to both men and women equally. Not men more than women or women more than men, but together, males and females, men and women share the, uh, the Imago Dei, the image of God in men, mankind. Um, and another thing, before we move on from verse 27, is to point out that this was true of Eve before Eve was married and before she was a mother. So very important to remember this. As important as marriage is, as important as motherhood is, and we're making a big deal about motherhood today, um, but as important as these institutions from God are, your value, sister, your value is first and foremost in the fact that you are an image bearer of God with men. That is the primary facet of your value. Uh, You are of worth because you're a human being. You participate in the human race in mankind. 
and you are an image bearer of God. The other um, passage that I would direct your attention to is chapter 2 and verse 18 that Alex read, where God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And the paragraph goes on about how God made Eve from Adam's body for the purpose of complementing Adam, providing a helpmate for Adam who would be who is suitable for him to provide companionship. And this as well took place in God's created order before Eve became a mother. And so just a piece of personal testimony here. My, my wife and I have raised five kids and we're now empty nesters, except for my dad. Um, and we're, we're enjoying this time, aren't we, dear? <laughs> but but, but we're, we're, we're enjoying this time of, of being together, being able to do things together, serve God together in, in a new way. And it's been impressed upon us by God in his providence that we're both thankful for, for parenthood. I'm thankful for, for being a father. I know my wife is thankful for being a mother. But primarily, above and beyond our fatherhood and motherhood, is that we're husband and wife. And Lord willing, we're going to be husband and wife longer, in terms of you know, hands-on experience, longer than our parenting days. So, image bearer of God, companion to a husband, if the Lord grants you marriage, that's before we get to Eve being a mother. But, motherhood was part of God's plan for humankind from the very beginning. So, back to chapter 1, verse 28, we read verse 27, and God blessed them, that is Adam and Eve first man and the first woman. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so what I want you to notice is that um, before the fall, before chapter 2 and chapter 3 and subsequent chapters, here in the very beginning Chapter 1 of Genesis, God had already designed procreation into humanity. And just to be clear, I never thought I'd see the day when we would have to make this clear, but God has put the capacity for procreation within the body of the woman and the woman alone. In fact, Jesus echoed this reality in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 4 when he said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? This is God's design. Humanity consisting of two sexes, two genders, male, female, men, women, and men and women, with the blessing of God, were to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over it, representing God in doing so. 
David, later on, in Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, wrote these words, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And that little word, womb, is packed. The more that we have gained in our understanding of human biology and human reproduction, the more incredible and complex the human reproductive system, and in particular, um, a woman's, a mother's reproduction system is. And I would just recommend to you Dr. David Menton's work, M-E-N-T-O-N, David Menton. If you go to YouTube and search on David Menton, um, fearfully and wonderfully made, but you don't, don't even have to say all that. But he's got a bunch of videos. He's written books. He, was, he taught in med medical school for 34 years. He's a Christian, and he goes around and lectures on just the majesty of God and the wisdom of God revealed, particularly in the, the female reproductive system. It is amazing. And it is recognized in the Bible. Again, David said to God, you knitted me together in my mother's womb, and that from the very beginning. So, creation. God's idea, motherhood. The, the second uh, epoch of the biblical story in general, and the biblical story of motherhood, is the story of the fall. The fall. Um, we don't have to read very long, in the Bible before we, we reach it. It's in Genesis chapter 3. And it's a reminder that uh, things are not today the way that God originally created them. So there's, there's a, a warning to Adam and Eve um, in chapter 2, particularly to Adam, about not eating the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then uh, in chapter 3, the, the serpent, who is not important because he's a reptile, but because, drawing from the book of Revelation, he is the serpent of old Satan himself, the, the, the deceiver and liar who deceived a, uh, Eve and enticed her to eat the forbidden fruit. And of course, Eve gave it to her husband, so Adam and Eve both disobeyed God. And we read in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And so we see some of the effects or the consequences of the fall. These are spiritual consequences guilt and shame and man-made religion. And in verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And so what's this? This is alienation from God. Guilt, shame, man-made religion, alienation from God, spiritual consequences of the fall. And there have been physical consequences. So skipping ahead 
to chapter 16, or verse 16, chapter 3 and verse 16. To the woman, God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. So childbearing was supposed to be a thing before the fall. Uh, Adam and Eve's bodies were both designed for it. But what entered the picture after the fall was pain. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. So there's physical consequences. But then there are relational consequences as well. So the last sentence in verse, verse 16, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And this desire is not a good desire. It means there's going to be conflict over who's going to be in charge, basically. Who is going to lead. And um, so this, these relational consequences take place in marriage, as we see there. Uh, in society, which we see in verse 15, God says to the serpent, so he's speaking to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your, your offspring and her offspring. And basically, this is going to characterize the conflict, not just between good and evil, although it could be boiled down to that, but it's conflict between the offspring of the woman, which basically means those who are believers, those who are allied with God, versus the offspring of the, of the serpent or the children of the devil, as Jesus would put it in John chapter 8. That characterizes the conflict between people throughout the Bible and today. And so there are relational consequences. And also there are relational consequences among siblings. Chapter 4 of Genesis and verse 8, Cain and Abel, the very first human beings born into this world. And we read in chapter 4 and verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Terrible. But these are the consequences of the fall. A good summary is in chapter 6 and verse 5. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of, of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, and that's why he sent the flood. And here's the thing to remember from Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. So this is God's description of the human race, sinful, wicked, evil. But every sinner has a mother who also happens to be a sinner. And so the fall has greatly affected motherhood itself. But thank God, the Bible is longer than just the first three or four or six chapters in Genesis. That's not the end of the story. All is not lost. And so we move on to, to the next epoch of the Bible story, and that's redemption. Redemption. So in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, right in the very words where God is pronouncing a curse, there is the promise of redemption. So 
uh, chapter 3 and verse 15 once again. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. This is very important. This is not about snakes. It's about Satan, as I said. And what's going on here is God is promising to graciously break the alliance between Eve and Satan. Because that's what happened. In listening to the serpent, Eve entered into an alliance with the devil. And by God saying, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, God is saying that this enmity is a good thing because it is breaking this alliance between Eve and the devil. And of course, the ramifications went way beyond Eve herself. Even God's words in verse 15 show that God's promise embraced Eve's godly offspring, her seed. Those who would reject Satan and his kingdom and align themselves with Eve's redeemer. But then God's words in verse 15 are very interesting because the last phrase uses a singular pronoun, he. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so God is promising in Genesis 3 and verse 15 that Eve's seed, plural, would ultimately give rise to her seed, singular. One man, one person, one redeemer, one representative, one victor whose heel would be bruised, yes, but who would, who would ultimately crush the head of Satan himself. And the New Testament is going to go on and identify that seed as none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus was bruised, for sure. What a terrible experience he went through on the cross. But in doing so, he actually destroyed the works of the devil. Satan fell into his own trap. But all of this from the very beginning. Here is the promise of redemption. And then notice this in verse 20. The, the, so after God makes these pronouncements of uh, curse as well as redemption, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And in fact, Eve in Hebrew means living, or it could be translated life giver. So isn't that gracious of God? That God did not hang Eve's guilt on her through her name. So he didn't name her something like curse bringer or something like that but simply living, life giver. And this was appropriate because she was the mother of all living. So there's hope, there's redemption, there is grace 
bound up in God's dealings with Adam and Eve even after the fall, post-fall. And we even see that in the way in which God uh, clothed them because by clothing them, the shedding of blood was necessary. And that also points forward to the ultimate shedding of blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and that ultimate covering for our sin and our guilt and God's provision for our redemption. So from here on out, the Bible story is the story of redemption. But until, until consummation, it's always a mixed bag. It's a tension between the already and the not yet. And we've, we've already seen that. So there's the already in the sense of God redeeming Adam and Eve and forgiving them and adopting them into his family and giving them great and precious promises. But there's the, there's the not yet in the sense that this is a fallen world. The offspring from Eve's own body would be fallen. And so her son Cain killed her other son Abel. It's a mixed bag. And that's the story of this world. It's a wonderful world. This is my father's world, but it's a fallen world. So there's good and wonderful things. Life is good, and God has given us all things richly to enjoy, but it's a sin-cursed world. So there's death and disease and fighting and wars and crime. And that's a story of motherhood, it turns out. In this age, this epoch of redemption, Lots of joy, lots of honor, lots of blessing. But, it, but there's also heartbreak. There's also disappointment and sin. Later on in Psalm 127 and verse 3, David would say, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. And what's so important about that promise is that that is true even in a sin-cursed world. That's so good to remember. Even though our children are conceived in the womb and brought forth in iniquity so that they need the grace of God, they need to be regenerated and saved, yet they are a rich heritage from the Lord. Every single child is a gift from the Lord, saved, unsaved, elect, non-elect, offspring of the woman, offspring of the serpent. Children all are a heritage from the Lord. And this is because of God's grace. And of course, we know from the teaching of Scripture that a mother is a lot more than just a birthing person. We know that Mothers are not baby factories. God has bound up in women a unique perspective on life, a unique wisdom that, again, reflects his own wisdom. So in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 1, we read, The wise woman builds her house. And in Proverbs 31 and verse 28, 
her children rise up and call her blessed. And I'll say again, even in a sin-cursed world, even fallen human beings love their mothers and appreciate them and recognize what they have received from them. And the Bible has so many examples of godly mothers who left their mark on redemptive history through their mothering. There's Sarah, Abraham's wife, the mother who waited for Isaac. There's, there's Rebecca, the mother of Jacob. There's Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And uh, Ruth said some of the most endearing words in the Old Testament. She said to Naomi, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you from me. Youth, uh, Ruth chapter 1 and verse 16. And of course, Ruth is an integral part in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Because she married Boaz and gave birth to Obed, the father of Jesse, the father of King David, the father of Jesus, ultimately. There's Hannah, the mother of Samuel, whom she lent to the Lord, 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2. There's Deborah, and in Judges chapter 5 and verse 7, she says, I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. And the, and the picture there is, where have the men gone? Things are falling apart. The mothers, like Deborah, see what's going on. And so Deborah arose as a mother in Israel and set things straight. Thank God for Deborah. And then, of course, then, of course, we have Mary, the Virgin Mary, who was promised by the angel that she would conceive and bring forth a son. She would conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in looking back on the virgin birth of Jesus, the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman. Those are intentional words. Born of a woman. Because, let's be real, the curse, the, the fall, came through a woman. Adam was responsible. We fell in Adam. But the curse, the fall, came through woman. And Paul is very careful to point out that our redemption, our salvation, our hope, was born of a woman. And so what that emphasizes is that the Lord Jesus Christ, though he bypassed the normal process for conception, Joseph was not his biological father, yet he bypassed absolutely nothing that the mother, Mary, contributed. Jesus, in his, in, in his uh, conception, in his, in his in utero growth, in his birth, he went through the entire process. He was born of a woman. No shortcuts. 
nothing left out. And in doing that, in doing that, God incarnate forever blessed the institution of motherhood. Could there be a bigger blessing than Jesus Christ, the Word of God, the Son of God, going through the entire process that every single one of us has gone through in being conceived and born. When we sing, O come all ye faithful, around Christmas time in the second stanza, we sing, God of God, light of light, lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb. Then, moving on in terms of examples in the New Testament, there's Timothy, and Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, who was a Greek. Timothy was, his parents were Greeks. His father seems to be out of the picture. And Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And by the way, how did that faith go from Lois, Timothy's grandmother, to Eunice, Timothy's mother? Faith is not inherited. It is taught and caught. And so Lois and Eunice were fulfilling what the Bible says to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And Paul commends Timothy and in so doing commends his godly grandmother and his godly mother. And so now, until Jesus comes again, we have two books in the Bible named First and Second Timothy, who, uh, which are indebted to these godly women, these mothers. To sum all of this up, Billy Graham said, only God himself fully appreciates the influence of a Christian mother in molding of character in her children. Amen. All right, then let's move on to consummation. Consummation. And the idea behind this word consummation is that this world is not it. This life is not it. History is going towards a goal. It is trending towards uh, a culmination, a grand finale, a consummation. And the Bible makes this consummation coincident with the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it turns out that motherhood, which is so honored by God, so blessed by God, so absolutely important to the human race in creation and redemption, is actually pointing to something even better. So let's look at that. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. 
Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, the Apostle Paul is writing about future glory and he writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, what's this present time? It's the same time that we're in now. It's the same present time just 2,000 years later. But it's the same general epoch of time, the already and the not yet. The sufferings of this present time, and there are sufferings because it's a fallen world, but these sufferings are not worthy, they're not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us in the next time, the, the time to come. That's what Paul is saying. And then what I want to show you is that Paul uses the language of motherhood, not a pleasant aspect of it, but Paul uses the language of motherhood to describe the, the coming of this next time beyond this present time, glory. So notice verses 22 and 23. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Now, I'm not going to patronize you by asking you if you're familiar with the pains of childbirth. It hurts, giving, giving birth. Well, creation itself is giving birth, as it were. Creation itself is groaning with the pains of childbirth. What is this childbirth going to be? What's the point? What's the result? Verse 23 and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so creation is waiting to give birth to the new creation, the new heavens and, and the new earth. And because of the effects of sin, there's, there's pain and the pains of childbirth. And the best way to understand what creation itself is experiencing, and what we are looking forward to in terms of the redemption of our bodies is to, the, to appeal to the example of motherhood. And then I want to show you something else. Look in Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 26. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 26. And in this section of chapter 4 in Galatians, Paul is contrasting those who seek to be justified by law-keeping, who in fact are in bondage, and those who recognize that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, not the result of our works, and are therefore free. And he says in Galatians 4 and verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free, and listen to his language, and she is our mother. The Jerusalem above, the community of the redeemed, the, the fellowship of those who believe in the gospel of God's grace, our heavenly home. Paul says, she is our mother. Interesting language, isn't it? And once again, when you think about Paul's anticipation of glory in Romans chapter 8, 
Here, motherhood is meant to describe what we are looking forward to, our ultimate destination, our family, our real family, is described in terms of motherhood. And then finally, Matthew chapter 22 and verse 30, I'll just read it. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 30. Jesus says, for in the resurrection, we've already been reading about it in Romans chapter 8. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. What does Jesus mean? It means that the days of marriage and motherhood are limited. In the resurrection, that is, on the new earth, in our resurrected bodies, where we will spend eternity in the presence of God, worshiping Him and serving Him, enjoying perfect fellowship with God's people, the Jerusalem that is now above, in that context, there will no longer be marriage. Marriage will have fulfilled its purpose. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're told that marriage illustrates the union between Christ and the church. But in Revelation chapter 19, when Jesus comes again, it's like the bridegroom coming for his bride. And so the purpose of human marriage will have been fulfilled. And it's the same thing with motherhood. Angels do not marry. Angels do not procreate. And we will be like them. And there's a sense, perhaps, that we, we react by saying, oh, how sad. But I would just remind you that that is called heaven and paradise and perfect happiness. So it's not that your mothering doesn't matter, not at all. We've already seen how motherhood is an integral part of the storyline of redemption. But your motherhood, sister, your motherhood is what God has been using in the lives of your children and as an example to all who know you. And your faithfulness as a godly mother will reward you in glory. God will remember your faithfulness. But here's the thing that we need to remember from the Bible. And that is that while your um, godly mothering will reward you in glory, what will define you forever and ever and ever, for all eternity, what will define you is not you as a mother, but you as a child of God. That's the primary relationship that will endure your relationship with God. And what does that do? It helps us to keep motherhood in perspective. Yes, it is an honorable thing. It's a God-designed thing. It's a glorious thing, a blessed thing. But even motherhood is not the ultimate thing. The ultimate thing is knowing Jesus Christ the Lord. And that's the most important thing I can say to any of you here this morning who might still be unsaved. If, if you're a mother, 
I'm sure that you would attest to the fact that along with joys, there are sorrows and, and guilt that comes with mothering. Isn't that right? And some of that guilt you, you don't deserve. What is it about mothers that they tend to feel guilty? It's like a hobby. I'm a mother. I've got to feel guilty. But you also know that some of that guilt is actually deserved. And I'm not here to condemn you. We're all in the same boat. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I have found in my own experience that there's nothing like marriage and family. They're incredible blessings and a gift from God, but there's nothing like them in terms of revealing the sin of our hearts. Isn't that true? And so if your motherhood has brought to the surface in your life sin like idolatry, lying, and, and anger, and envy, whatever, then praise God that God has shown you your sin. But what I am here to tell you this morning is not your sin. I want to tell you about Jesus Christ the Savior. He's the fulfillment of all of these types and shadows. As wonderful as marriage is, even the best marriage doesn't last forever, but there is a union that lasts forever. It's the union between believers and Jesus Christ, and no one can take that away. And so what we want to do is direct you to Jesus. Direct you to Jesus. He'll forgive you of all of your sins. He'll change your life. He'll even change your perspective on mothering. And he'll give you a hope, an incredible, unique, blessed hope for the future now and on into eternity. And so if you're not converted, may this Mother's Day 2021 be the day that you turn to the Lord and be saved. Let's pray.